It's time to get your checking account to zero with free checking from PenFed. That's zero ATM fees, zero balance requirements, and zero time spent waiting for your paycheck to direct deposit because you can receive it up to two days early. Open your account with just $25 and see how big zero can be. Apply online today at penfed.org slash free checking. Early direct deposit eligibility may vary between pay periods and timing of payers' funding. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed, insured by NCUA. The United States Border Patrol has exciting and rewarding career opportunities with the nation's largest law enforcement organization. Border Patrol agents enjoy great pay, outstanding federal benefits, and up to $20,000 in recruitment incentives for newly appointed agents. If you are looking for a way to serve something greater than yourself, consider the United States Border Patrol. Learn more online at cbp.gov careers slash USBP. That's cbp.gov careers slash USBP. This is an official download from thecustardtv.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Custard TV podcast. We're back once again. I hope you're all well. It is me, Matt, still in the uh, last of throes of COVID, but uh, we're getting on all right and we're still here. And two of uh, our favourites back with us. It's Dawn, first of all, in Scotland. How are you, Dawn? I'm all right. Thank you very much. Forgot about changing the clocks, but that's okay. We've adjusted now. (laughs) You say you're all right, Dawn, but you told us something. Tell us about the disaster. Yeah, we got up this morning to discover uh, about a centimetre or two of water in our kitchen floor. We live in a flat on the first floor and the people upstairs have a leak. And it had obviously been going for some time because the entire floor was flooded. Most annoyingly of all, I had done some shopping yesterday that I hadn't put away because it wasn't fridge stuff. So it's in all of that. So I'm going to have to take everything out of that and wash it, every item of shopping. Dried up the floor. And we've dried up the work surfaces, but I still have to wash the shopping. So <laughs> that's still a job for later today. I'm working myself up. <laughs> uh, joining us once again is uh, Sarah Kennedy. How are you, Sarah? Um, I'm very well, thank you. This week, uh, my title has been The Hermit of Northfield because I've not been able to go anywhere because of the Birmingham bus strikes. But they've accepted a pay offer. The strikes are off. I can continue causing devastation throughout the country next week. So yeah, we've all had a bit of a stressy time of it, but we're here to review some some TV and have a bit of a laugh, hopefully. This could be a podcast. Don't you have to be some sort of whiz kid to do those? Uh, definitely not. Anyone with a computer can make one. This is the Custard TV Podcast. Yes, that would entertain me briefly. From thecustardtv.com. The BAFTA Awards, BAFTA TV nominations... Uh, were announced this week. You can find uh, a full list of nominations on thecustardtv.com. Just having a look at the nominations, is there anything we're happy about? Anything that we're surprised isn't there? I'll start with you, Dawn. What What are your thoughts on the nominations in uh, just generally? I, I am delighted that Sarah Langshire got a nomination for Julia. And as everybody pointed out, nobody freak out about Happy Valley because that's not included in the time frame. That'll be next year's. I could not pick the the comedy because it's pretty much all four are my favourites. Um, Big mm. Boys, Derry Girls, Ghosts and the new Am I Being Unreasonable, Daisy Mae Cooper's show. I think I would like Derry Girls to win it because it's their last hurrah, but they all deserve it. They're, I think they're all fantastic. And obviously, they're very high level. I think 
TV's just getting better and better and it's getting harder to, to pick. Obviously, except think, for poor ITV, who have got like one nomination through the whole thing. I think Jack Rook for Big Boys is nominated for writing as well, so he could mm. win that one. Yeah, And it's his first thing. show. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think he'd be delighted with that. I mean, absolutely delighted, not surprised, for This Is Going To Hurt. I don't think you'd bet against them winning basically everything that they're nominated for. Really happy to see Adil Akhtar um, nominated for Sherwood because that was an outstanding performance. I thought that was just terrific. And as you say, comedy, I think, honestly, my personal favourite out of that extremely strong list is is Big Boys because it was so unexpected, so warm, so funny, you know, dealt with like issues and themes, but in just a really beautiful way. And anything that, that's not there that we're upset about? As Dawn was saying, Chris Lang, friend of the show, on Twitter, counted up how many nominations ITV got this year and in previous years. And he is asking the question as to whether it's snobbery that they never get more than a couple on a good mm. year. I mean, we watch a lot of TV. We watch a lot of high and low quality dramas. <laughs> and I think we can say that ITV's output, especially since Broadchurch, has been... Solid in places, bit naff sometimes, but it's no Channel 5. And like, <laughs> these people are working really hard, getting their shows picked up by ITV. And then and then why do they not get any nods? A lot of the issues with ITV as well, I think, is that they have a lot of continuing programmes, don't they? Which perhaps people do get overlooked. I, I was thinking when I saw you, you mentioned Chris's tweet, and obviously his show from last year, The, the Thief, The Wife, and, and his canoe that has been nominated for miniseries two uh itv dramas from last year that i really enjoyed were holding the uh graham norton adaptation i thought conleth hill and siobhan mcsweeney and helen bevan any of them could have been nominated for acting awards and uh the walking is the other one uh oh, yeah. St- stephen graham's performance in that was tremendous and actually the series itself the miniseries category is an interesting one, as, as Sarah said. I think this is going to hurt. Is going to walk that one, and some of the the sort of like aspire among friends that like the ITVX shows, which no one's really watched. Um, I saw Vicky McClaw got a nomination in there as well, which I'm happy about, and that actually is going to be on on normal ITV in in May, I think. So people who don't know ITVX is a thing will be able. Uh, to watch yes it. I saw that advert it was the first time I've I know a show I could have watched all of it and now I'm seeing it advertised on ITV so we're mm. just gonna have to get used to that it's very strange to me I'm generally happy that a lot of my favorites from last year got in there Billy Piper especially I Hate Susie 2 I thought was one of the the best shows of last year and I hope this is her year the best actress it's all like established stars isn't it like Kate Winslet mm. Maxine Peake Vicky McClure Sarah Lancashire um, Imelda Staunton so I'm hoping that Billy Piper can eke out a win because I just yeah, think her it, performance in that was tremendous. Surprised by any nominations for The Crown frankly because that was a lacklustre series I'm not sure that they deserved that. Did BAFTA watch it with a critical eye or, or are they just going oh it's big and shiny and glossy and it's Netflix money and it's a and the queen about the, the queen year. So therefore we should exactly maybe yeah, that's, that's it maybe it's queen year. Yeah, because it's like, oh, nominations for the the Jubilee and the funeral and, oh, look, the crown as well. I mean, you mentioned that This Is Gonna Hurt has been nominated in quite a few categories. I was surprised not to see Ambika Mods nominated in that. Yeah, as, Twitter as was... Well, people on Twitter that I follow were, were very upset about that. 
somewhere, boy, I'm really glad to see in there. I believe Samuel Bottomley was nominated as supporting actor and Pete Jackson's been nominated as writer. But Lewis Gribben, who was the lead in that as Danny, I thought, again, was a, a fantastic performance that's been overlooked. Uh, Emily Fair in The Responder, again, I know that got a few nods, but uh, she played Casey and that seems like a bit of a, a misstep, maybe. And I was also surprised Stephen Merchant wasn't nominated for Four Lives playing Stephen Paul because I thought that was oh, a... Oh, yeah, that was excellent. I, that was a, at the beginning of the year, so perhaps it's been forgotten. And I know he has mm. been nominated for The Outlaws, um, maybe a sort of a makeup nomination. But I thought when I saw that performance, I was thinking that is a BAFTA performance. And just one more as well. This is the first year, I think, for a while that Gone Fishing hasn't been nominated and they've never won and it's a shame. Oh, yeah. Uh, BAFTAs, we'll talk about more nearer the time. I'm sure we'll be doing some predictions and stuff and Sarah's hoping she won't be on that week because she hates predictions. (laughs) I'm just Um, so bad at them. Ignore everything I have to say, guys. On everything else, I'm just unignorable. (laughs) (laughs) Speaking of that, Sarah, do you want to run through what you've been watching this week? Because you told us you made a list and everything. I actually made a list of trying to be a little (laughs) bit more organised for you. So I think it was Friday and I needed a bit of comfort TV. So I watched all of the episodes of Ted Lasso that are currently available. I like the new superstar character who's been introduced and watching the reactions to him. I'm also a bit of a sucker. As you may know, I bought a house last year. Um, so I'm an absolute sucker for interior design masters as well. And last episode that I watched, half of the teams did a maximalist design in a hotel. And I thought that was going to be so exciting. And one person who I was really rooting for went home. <laughs> so that was disappointing. Uh, yeah, apparently that her gold leafed lobster didn't go down too well. And then Dawn, I don't know whether it, was, it might have been you who was talking about it on Twitter I've started the second series of Shadow and Bone. Everybody whose taste I like seems to love it. I don't know a thing about the plot or what you know what it's about. It's good. It's proper fantasy stuff. Nice world building, bit of politics, bit of war, bit of magic. It's a good mix. But even having watched the recap and two episodes of the first series, I'm still a little bit unsure as to who everyone is and what everyone's motivations were because I've forgotten. <laughs> I don't think it's been too long a gap between series. Uh, Maybe my brain is just protecting me from Netflix inevitably cancelling it, however popular it is. Yeah, I mean, I don't know anything about this show at all, but give it a go, Dawn. Have you given it a go? I have not yet, but I think I will, yeah. And I really hope that they haven't given them an end of season two cliffhanger, because... You know, maybe don't if you're writing for Netflix at the moment. <laughs> They're used to that, though. I mean, that's that's been a trope for years, hasn't it, where people will do a cliffhanger. And I mean, I, I'm still, like, pining for Glow. That was yeah. the big one for me. Dawn, what about you? Uh, this week, I finished Daisy Jones and the Six. Oh, yeah. Um, really, I really started enjoying it. I don't know what I was looking forward to watching it. Uh, and the ending was better than I hoped, even though it did have a touch of the How I Met Your Mother ending i won't go into detail but anybody who knows knows i also finished severance which was another one took me a few Uh. years to get into it but i really enjoyed it by the end so i'm now um discussing with amy beth from the cursor tv who's i think she wrote one of the articles for cursor tv discussing our theories of what's going on so which is something i absolutely love no other show has given as much room to theorize about what's going on in severance there's so many things you can speculate about and 
every detail is relevant and I think that's a great way to keep your audience busy in between seasons. <laughs> Absolutely, so. yeah. I'm looking forward to starting Yellow Jacket season two for the same reason. All of the things that they cover, past and present. So I suppose there's a split a bit like Severance as well. Yeah, it's it's terrific. It's really you, good fun to get you bought a yellow happen. jacket this week as well, did you not? I did, yeah. Oh god, I didn't even realise there's a link. <laughs> That's right. And now I'm booked on a, a flight over a wilderness and it's all going to go fine. In the 90s. That's right. <laughs> well, that's how I live my life, mainly in the 90s. If you were in the past, who would you like to play the future you? Because they're all like, you know, 90s starlets, aren't they? Like Christina Ricci and Juliet Lewis. My brother yesterday discussing the yellow jacket wondered if I was going through my April O'Neill um <laughs> years and I thought gosh I hope so but I haven't been down to the pet shop yet that's Teenage so, yeah. Mutant Ninja Turtles reference for <laughs> there you go the, a the young 90s people. reference for the kids <laughs> <laughs> did we w- all watch the fourth episode of Unforgotten I did I might have done something naughty oh you've watched <laughs> it to the end have you no said? no I really wanted to but I didn't I've only watched five and it now is killing me I'll probably watch it tonight because I have been watching it you know it was your fault you said you were watching a little yeah. bit ahead for the podcast I probably I will like, yeah <laughs> I have been probably. okay that's fine I'm not gonna I'm you know I'm not here to judge but I just wanted to mention it briefly mainly because there is an article on the custardtv.com about the fourth episode specifically and that scene towards the end uh, with Sonny and Jess where they sort of made up really you know that we, we feel finally like they're breaking down some barriers and they may actually be able to work together yeah that final section they had where it was Sonny and Sal and them talking about him you know not setting a date for the wedding and her having a miscarriage and then him watching all those zoom calls about the lad Jay and his sort of upbringing and, and then that conversation at the end and that was so powerful all that section and again just looking at the underfunding of social care which is something sort of I see in my daily life I think and underfunding of policing as well is is a big theme that Chris has put throughout this series and I think that is really powerful and really strong and and really authentic really I mean Dawn are you enjoying this is your first unforgotten definitely I love social side of what what they're saying it's not just about the actual case you know they're making a good point about that and police type shows usually have a choice of who they're going to show you know whether they're going to show only the police or do you see the suspect on their own and I like the way They've built up the suspect. I'm interested to know more about the social worker. I can't remember his name. Carol. And and what happened. Because I can imagine that a social worker would just burn out and reach the end of their tether with the whole situation and what they have to see every day. But obviously something happened. So I'm interested to see exactly. The United States Border Patrol has exciting and rewarding career opportunities with the nation's largest law enforcement organization. Border Patrol agents enjoy great pay, outstanding federal benefits, and up to $20,000 in recruitment incentives for newly appointed agents. If you are looking for a way to serve something greater than yourself, consider the United States Border Patrol. Learn more online at cbp.gov careers USBP. That's cbp.gov careers USBP. What his connection well, They is. mentioned like something with upskirting, didn't they? Yeah, I, I just, I'm really enjoying it. And, you know, I, I, I could watch 
just the policing part of it without mm. anything else. But the way they've built up all the other characters' stories is, is really gripping. And you're still wondering what the Lord Tony connection is, because there's yeah. something going on uh, there. And I do miss, I have missed the Unforgotten thing, where you could tell a character's lying because there's like a little flashbacky thing that they do, but you can't actually see what's happening in the flashback. Like, yeah. I'm, uh, always, I'm always looking away from the TV and I hear the flashback noise and I look back and <laughs> I've missed it. <laughs> Very clever and, uh, yes. Yeah, Episode five will have been on, Sarah, so we'll let you off by the time the podcast comes out. <laughs> and I could have happily have watched the last yeah. episode, yeah. but I can't. Goes against all my principles. Yeah, it's very restrained. Of I don't know what people have been doing, but I haven't seen a great deal of, of talk about it on Twitter, so I don't know if people have skipped ahead. Um, I mean, for me, I've not watched a great deal, but I did watch the final of The Apprentice, as I said last week. I've been sort of cajoled into watching it this year since obviously they they've done the thing now where it's their own business and they're trying to get Lord Sugar's investment you know they put on this presentation and have to create an advert and what have you why they bring back all the idiots who've been fired because <laughs> if you were wanting the best presentation for your business why do you bring back all these idiots who you know and you've got they pick them like part of like a football team and you know, like you would oh, yeah. pick the sides at school. And I think the lady who won Marnie, I think, was probably the best choice out of the two. But again, you never really hear from these people again, do you, that he invests in. Since like the first couple of series that they started doing this, it just seemed like a, a rolling cavalcade of, of businesses. And this was a boxing gym that he invested in. So be interesting to see how much that gets uh, publicity. But yeah. Before we start the reviews, uh, let's just do some plugs, Sarah. What are we looking at on Why Now? I've got two articles on Why Now by the time you listen to this. Weirdly, one on Great Expectations and one on Blue Lights. <laughs> Which so. we will be reviewing. Sorry, I didn't set that up. We will oh, be yeah, reviewing sorry. both of those programmes yes. and um, but- 6-4 as well. Don't you worry, I've saved my spiciest takes for the Custard TV. We're still focusing on the archive, are we, of the shipyard? Yeah, the moment, yeah. You may very well, depending on how I feel this week, you might get an article about Daisy Jones and the the Six, because I have many thoughts about the ship-related aspect. So there are some articles on our website um, about the big one, the Sandy Toxic Mike McShane romance from the 90s, which not enough people have seen. Have you never heard of that? No, from the have I got uh, uh, whose lines it anyway? Yes, Sandy Toxic Mike McShane. It's called the big one. It was from a, I think it's about 1992 or 1990, sometime around then. Anyway, six part comedy romance about two opposites who um, are forced to share a flat. Mike McShane is a very uh, pernickety, uptight Bostonian who is a romance novelist. Sandy Toxic is a very slobby and chaotic uh, advertising writer and they are forced to share a flat and their bristling uh, uh, antagony becomes romance. And it's really, really beautiful and gentle and funny. You can watch it on all four, I'm pretty sure. I know what I'm doing then. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yay! I actually saw um, Mike McShane as part of a whose line is it anyway like revival with like some of the original right. cast when i was lost at edinburgh in in 2019 
And on thecustardtv.com at the moment, as I said, Luke has written a article about episode four of Unforgotten and also has reviewed uh, the first episode of Succession. We have also got all our normal upcoming TV and, and what's coming soon. And if you missed it, Dawn's articles on both Ted Lasso and Abbott Elementary and uh, Nick's piece on The Good Wife are all still up there. Uh, if you would like to be a part of either the custardtv.com or the podcast, please get in touch on Twitter at LinkCustardTV, at MattsTVBytes, at CustardTVPod. You can get in touch on Facebook, just search the Custard TV, Instagram, it's the Custard TV, and CustardTVReviews at gmail.com is the email. Please like, rate, review, subscribe on uh, the podcast app of choice that you listen to the Custard TV podcast. And we have got a massive archive on all of your uh, podcast apps of choice going back to 2011. Okay, so we will start the reviews. First off, uh, it is me and Dawn in the future with Luke reviewing Succession. So let's see what, what we say in the future. Dawn, we're here in the future. It's amazing. <laughs> Climate change hasn't happened yet. I knew it wouldn't. <laughs> oh, well, that's Luke. Luke's here too. This future rocks because this future has succession in it, and that's the only reason I'm here uh, in the future. Not that I don't enjoy speaking to you two, but mainly succession. So it's back on HBO in the US and Sky Atlantic. We get it at the 2am slot, just like we did The Last of Us and Game of Thrones and ours. And the, the, ga- the Game of Thrones treatment, as you used to call yes, it. Yes, I used I, to call it. I'm going to call it the House of the Dragon treatment now, to be really contemporary. <laughs> This one, called The Munsters, is set a couple of months after this merger between ATN and Alexander Skarsgård's character. And it also is a couple of months, obviously, since Logan stabbed his children in the back, cut them off from their birthright, and Tom was involved in, in organising and letting Logan know what the children's plans were to sort of use a little device that their mother gave them in the divorce to stop any merger going through. When we see them, all three Roy children, Shiv, Kendall and Roman, are working on a brand new venture called The Hundred. It is billed as like this multimedia company that's got the best journalists and the best facts and they've been really busy working on it. Meanwhile, Shiv is also trying to throw a hat in the ring again, possibly becoming a political advisor again like she was way back in season one. So although they're all united, all happy to work on this thing, as soon as they get the nod that something might be going on with Logan again, they're interested to use their leverage and outbid him. They find out that he's actually looking to go back into business and back into bed with the Pierce family. This is after Tom rings Shiv and sort of says, I have a dinner date with Naomi Pierce's, Kendall's ex-girlfriend from season two. At first, you think he's winging to sort of dig in that he's having a date with this woman, but actually Shiv thinks there's more to this. And Logan obviously is trying to 
get them as well, acquire them, and then put them in the ATN deal and with the the Skarsgård deal as well. So it's one big package. Logan's always wanted to acquire the Pierces. And so that starts a massive bidding war between the two. There's also Logan's birthday party during all this. So you see that he's unhappy. He seems to be visibly missing the children, even though he'd never admit it. He's got a new assistant. She rings Roman and says, could you call She's not a new that? assistant, though. I didn't recognise her. She was in the last series, wasn't she? Yeah. Because yeah. they were they thought that she was sleeping with him then. She was his assistant yeah. last series. But she rings the kids and says, Will you just call your dad and wish him a happy birthday? Roman takes great pleasure in telling her what she can do with that and that they won't. And so they're really estranged. Logan is just fuming and doesn't understand why everybody's so happy. Tom and Greg are there. They've become this sort of duo, the nasty brothers or the disgusting pair. Disgusting brothers. Disgusting brothers. That's what Dawn calls me and you. They've stolen that. I'd like those tapes back, Dawn, if you could please release (laughs) them to me again. The rest of the episode is, is... the Roy siblings and their dad going back and forth. And it's it's a really fascinating, nail-biting thing, even though it's all through phone calls and very business-like. It's basically succession firing on all cylinders. I really loved it. It didn't take me more than two minutes to be back in the world. Dawn, did you feel like you needed a recap? Did you do any sort of reading up? Did you watch the finale of last season or did you go straight in? Uh, I just went straight in. And I think, I mean, I'll be honest, I always struggle to follow a lot of the business stuff. I'm mm. just, I don't really understand that. But I think the, the fact that we had the three siblings together, they were in the finale. Uh, it kept that line going. If we'd had them all separate doing stuff on their own, I think that would have been harder to get back yeah. into yeah, yeah. the story and what was happening. But it showed, look, this is their dynamic. The three of them, Logan here, the calls back and forth, and that that separation was made very clear. So I think that, that made it easy to get into. And it's, it's almost a real time, kind of. It almost all happens over, you know, the course of like a couple of hours yeah even though they, the the kids travel in a helicopter from one place to another somebody had, had, had said all they wanted to know was was there a lot of jerry in it because obviously i am a huge jerry fan girl and a lot of my friends are and they said oh i'm really disappointed that, that she's barely in it but i was like yeah but it, that's not what this episode is about it is no. almost entirely about the relationship with the kids and and Logan and all the interaction in the business will come later I assume. I think I'm with you I think I struggle to understand the dynamics in the business and also obviously the deal that they secured in the end of season three they made clear hadn't gone through so they the kids still had access to I think we can spoil it 10 billion dollars of their own money but presumably if that deal had gone through they wouldn't have had access to anything things and that's what i understood is that had you know if this had picked up following the successful merger that which is what i sort of imagined it would but we would have found them rudderless and businessless and well, the just... merger is about to go through yeah and they have to put their resignations in before it goes through and i think that they get as like severance a dividend. you know billions and billions yeah. of dollars but they lost in taking over 
yeah, the business lost, and they lost stopping. in succession, didn't they? Mm. In succeeding. Dawn, in terms of the episode, then minus Jerry, a lot of business stuff. I felt it it was still firing on all cylinders. It had lost none of its magic. Did you feel that way? Definitely, it had all the elements that make up this dysfunctional family, and you know, even the further people like Greg, the Greg and Tom. The, you know, it was. Not pandering, I wouldn't call it pandering, but they know what the audience loves. The mm. audience loves that Tom and Greg dynamic. Greg doing something, I won't say what, <laughs> no. that makes him, again, on the outs, makes a fool of himself, as he repeatedly does. And then even when um, Logan takes all his inner circle to his room to talk about this Pierce deal, the dynamics there, I, I love Carl and Frank and yeah. they, their relationship trying to pass the buck between them. And that was all perfectly pitched back on form as it was. And then uh, there is a lot of stuff about Shiv and Tom's marriage at the end of the episode. And then you can see why Matthew McFadden wins the awards because he's so good at Tom. Playing this kind of sort of hurt puppy, but at the same time, he's as manipulative as, as Shiv is, but in a different way. And, the way he manipulates Greg, but then he's kind of pathetic when he's with Shiv. He says the line of, would you like me to try and make love to you? That was so cringe. I but just think those perfect. two together, th- their scenes are some of the most powerful in the whole show. The scene they had on the beach where they talk about not really being in a marriage and, and the scene they had here. It's properly beautiful. And they all those sort of bravado strips away for just a few moments for them to have a real talk as a couple. And you can see there's love there, which you don't always see in succession. You know, you don't always see that they care about each other, but there's something between Tom and Shiv. And I think those two, Sarah Snook and Matthew McFadden, just play it brilliantly. Also, as I wrote in my piece, because we know now that this is the final season, it just all feels like it has higher stakes and there's more to look forward to it was an episode of two halves for me i found the first half a little meandering i knew we had to obviously establish where everyone was but it was very very dialogue heavy like the three siblings and then as you say logan's birthday party we've got all the sycophantic characters he's basically been left with people who he doesn't really like because these are the people who were just pandering to him. Yes, men. Load of yes, men. Yeah. It's not just yes, men, because you've got Jerry there. And yes, women. That's about it. Yeah. <laughs> yes, people. And as you say, like, you know, Greg's there. I haven't mentioned uh, Connor and his 1% and him wanting a, an odd wedding to get some press attention. The pace was a little bit plodding as compared to, if you remember, the season three opener after the, the press conference and they were all on that plane to Slovakia or somewhere. And I was just like wanting something to happen and then something happened. And then the second half of the episode with the deal with Pierce and Sherry Jones as Nan Pierce, who is excellent. I love She's her as amazing. this sort of like Midwestern businesswoman who is the antithesis to Logan but it's still really ruthless, but in a sort of passive aggressive type way. And they're sort of going back and forth. And then like Logan being the Logan we know with the insults and asking people to tell jokes and, you know, the the comment, another comment about Greg and Greg almost sort of standing up to him, but not really. And then as you both mentioned, the Shiv and Tom scene at the end. So 
it took a while to get there, but when it got there, it was like, well, it's the sessions back now, and I'm really excited to know what the end point is. I mean, do we think that Logan's going to die, or do you think they'll do something monumental, or will it just be like status quo by the end? What, just playing the same four chords? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Rocking all over the world. I have no idea. I think I'd be foolish to try and second-guess Succession because I've been mm. wrong on every level. So, Dawn, what do you think is going to happen here? I think Logan will die at the end, possibly even before the end, um, and we'll see the battle over who will become. I don't know who will succeed in Succession. My money would be on Shiv if, if I had to predict. I think I'd seen some interviews, and I'm, I'm not entirely sure that uh, Sarah Snook was particularly happy with how it ended. She maybe just didn't want it to end. From what I gathered, she didn't know it was the end until the table read yeah. of the finale, so maybe that was, that shaped her vision a little yeah. bit. Because it would a little know. bit. You've just been told you're unemployed yeah. at the very end of reading one script. Yeah. And she's pregnant, so um, the, the, the actress, I have to make clear, not the character. I do worry, whenever any show is ending, I do worry, are they going to mess up the ending and, and taint what it was? But, you know, he's done so perfectly well so far. I'm hoping that they'll, they'll land the ending and it'll be satisfying, but still true to the nature of Succession, which is not happy. <laughs> you know, I can't see a happy ending for anyone, but maybe happy-ish. It wouldn't be a succession if it had a happy ending, no. though, would it? Surely. Your Jerry fanatics, Dawn, what do they want for that character? I don't really know. Do they want Roman and her together? Well, I think they do to a degree. I don't know if I can say this on the podcast, but they just want Jerry to have an orgasm. <laughs> don't we all? <laughs> Do you want that to be a bottle episode where it's just her in a room on her own for 45 yes. minutes? However she gets there is good for us. As long as um, she doesn't do anything with the bottle. If it's not that sort of bottle episode. No, now I feel I need to go and have a wash. <laughs> Dear, I would love to see Roman and Jerry explored more at least because I think it's a very unique dynamic. Yeah. I mean, you never see that kind of dominatrix and sub kind of relationship on TV in a normal setting in life. It's a show about that kind of thing. An older woman with a younger man, you know, and also a man who, a younger man who has major sexual hang-ups and how they could have a, a relationship that worked despite that. I think there's a lot of ground to plough there, uh, but I don't know if they're going to do that, but I would love to. But I think more than anything, a lot of people feel that Jerry is the best character in terms of the best person. Even though she is ruthless and, and hard-nosed, she is a much better person than most of the other characters in there. And so we want to see her succeed in whatever she chooses to do. And season one, she was seen as basically bulletproof by Logan. But now with the whole thing with the photograph of Roman, he doesn't trust her so much. And so is he is she going to be taken out in the in the in the fire between Logan and, and Roman? Is Jerry going to be collateral damage? I hope not. 
Discover, this is Daniela. Hi, it's Jennifer Coolidge. I just want to thank you for making me feel so special. I earned cash back on debit for my dinner party groceries. That's great. But with Discover Cashback Debit, we give everyone cash back on everyday purchases. Anything else I can help you with? Do you like asparagus and mushroom sorbet? I've got leftovers. Introducing Discover Cashback Debit, a checking account with cash back. It pays to Discover. Eligibility in terms at discover.com slash cashback debit. Discover Bank, member FDIC. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. It is fascinating. Also, I think I should clear up because of the Scottishness. I did think that Dawn said that she wanted to see Roman and Jerry explode rather than explore. But I worked <laughs> it out. But that's kind of what you do want anyway. You want to see them explode to a degree. Oh, <laughs> explode, Yes. <laughs> Succession is back. We we loved it, all but a, a little bit of a wobble at the beginning for Matt. Still remains one of the most unique and talked about shows and clever and witty and unpredictable and scary and angry and miserable and pretty perfect. Succession is back. Thank you for letting me uh, come on the podcast. Thank I you, will Luke. Let, I will go now into my lair and have See a See you soon. Have a wash and get all that bottle business off me. Bye. <laughs> Talking telly on the Custard TV podcast. Doesn't that sound exciting to you? Let's do it! Ready? Here we go. And now to uh, the rest of the week's shows. Uh, we'll start with Great Expectations. Obviously, this is a adaptation of the Charles Dickens novel. This comes to us from uh, Stephen Knight, obviously most known for Peaky Blinders, but also... Uh, no Strangers to Dickens adaptation did a adaptation of A Christmas Carol a few years ago. Did either of you watch that? I That one passed me by. Didn't see that one, no. I can't honestly remember. <laughs> I believe Guy Pearce was in it. Oh, yes. Did see that. <laughs> or at least I saw, I, I remember a bit that was really scary. Yeah, so... Well done. Okay. Now now I I have have fear. (laughs) So this um, starts in 1839 London uh, before flashing back seven years earlier. So we have got our Luke special. Someone did ask me the other week what a Luke special was because they hadn't actually heard us explain it on the podcast. But essentially it's where drama starts somewhere and then flashes back. We are seven years early in Gravesend. We meet our protagonist Pip. Uh, he is orphaned to live with his devoutly religious sister, Sarah, and her husband, uh, the kindly blacksmith, Joe. Pitt works in the latter's shop, but dreams of something bigger. On the night of Christmas Eve, Pitt sneaks out of the house to visit his parents' graves and meets the convict, Magwitch, who early in the episode had escaped uh, from a boat bound for Australia after a fire set by his rival and fellow escapee, Compasson. Magwitch threatens Pip to get him some food and a file to free him from his chains, which he does the next morning. During Christmas lunch, Pip is informed by the haughty Mr. Pumplechook that the mysterious Miss Havisham has asked him as the most intellectual boy in the village to become a playmate for her adopted daughter. Uh, Lunch is soon disturbed uh, by the police who ask all the able-bodied men in the village to form a search party to find uh, the two escaped convicts. 
when they are finally tracked down, Magwitch doesn't betray Pip for his role in cutting his chains and is once again put on the ship to Australia. Meanwhile, Pip tells Joe that he doesn't want to inherit the blacksmith's shop and instead sets out for his first meeting with both Estella and Miss Havisham. Are we familiar with the with the book? Yes, I've definitely read a good two thirds. <laughs> I've never actually read it, but I know the plot by osmosis. We've seen any of the adaptations. Did we see the last one that was on in 2011 that was written by a friend of the podcast, Sarah Phelps, that starred Gillian Anderson? I watched no, that. I've not seen that, but there's been so much talk of it this week. That I want to go back and watch it. I believe it's on the iPlayer. Have you seen any adaptations, Sarah? No, this is my first one. So I'm not as jaded as the rest of our critic colleagues are. (laughs) Okay, so what did you make to this first episode then? On the whole, I liked it. It's been accused of being too violent, being too dark, being too sexed up. Have you met Stephen Knight and seen the stuff that he does? You know, this is clearly the direction that they wanted it to go in. And also, if you think that Charles Dickens isn't, scary and grimy and deals with the underside of life then like you said earlier read a book you know <laughs> what did you think it was genteel victorian people being nice to each other and i also thought it was very beautiful again money on the screen that amazing sort of marshland around gravesend is just it's so it reminded me of the essex serpent it was it's mm. just so alien it's really kind of frightening in itself i really liked that uh, when we meet Olivia Coleman, um, she looks like quite a different Miss Havisham than Gillian Anderson was. She's not dusty. Yeah. Um, I read somewhere that costume designer had taken inspiration from the house. So it's more sort of damp and sort of rotting. And that is coming out of her character as well as the surroundings. Um, thought that was interesting. Can't really comment on Estella and Miss Havisham as such yet, because we're only in their company for the last mm. two minutes yeah. of the episode. But I like how they leave Pip literally on the threshold of his new life and it does make me want to watch the next episode for sure and that is a very sort of iconic piece magwitch emerging from the marshes so i think they captured that very well um does magwitch have a nemesis that's tracking him in the book i believe so i i believe he pops up again nearer not to we won't spoil spoil anything because we we don't know what happens to magwitch you know that, that fight, it, that fight which, in I'm the not... hood was incredible. Yeah. It was just... But that character, that, that does exist. That that all happens in the book, if that's what you're asking. Um, yeah. I've heard that it diverges a bit more after the first episode. I think what he's done ha- is increase certain characters out of the book. Mr. Jaggers, the lawyer, who we don't meet in this first episode, we just hear about, I believe Ashley Thomas is playing him, has a, a very much an increased role here. I agree with everything Sarah said. I thought it was good comparing it to the uh, Gillian Anderson version, which is what I will call it, even though she wasn't. <laughs> it was like Sarah she wrote Fox's it. adaptation. <laughs> <laughs> I think that it was like a shorter series and they included a lot more the plot in the first episode and it felt too much, whereas I thought this is good. They've aged Pip up because in the, in the book he's seven uh, when all this happens on the marsh and he's obviously about 14, I would guess he's supposed to be. Mm which I think works better because he is older and more aware and it makes it, it's in a sense, less frightening because a seven-year-old, you know, with with an escaped convict, but it makes him more a part of it and more Mm. um, switched on, which I thought it was good. I thought that this version of Pip is somebody who you can 
believe is is going to be a wants to be a social climber who who looks around and sees I want better from my life which I thought was really good I, I love the the continuing BBC habit of putting the um renowned comics in the um supporting roles but Matt Berry as Mr Pumblechook was amazing the way he said opposite sick and then <laughs> his delivery is amazing, isn't it? Although I do feel a bit sorry for him because he had to deliver a lot of exposition at that Christmas dinner table. He was the plot. Mm. <laughs> yeah, but I, th- I think, it, you know, they've got the, the um, Dickens comedy, the dark comedy really well. There's Tim well. Key there as well. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, yeah. it livens up when you've got a comic actor delivering it. Mm. So and it was beautiful. It was very sort of washed out and almost black and white in scenes, you know, and on the marsh, which highlighted the sort of bleakness of it. I've never been to a marshland, so I don't know what it looks like. So <laughs> it is alien to me. <laughs> but um, yeah, I think it's beautifully made, and I I can't see anything obvious for me to complain about. Even though I'm not a fan of Peaky Blinders, whatever, I did like that stylized dark violent because as Sarah said it's a reflection of Dickens novels they are dark they are about the awfulness of society I don't think it has as much of that incongruity as Peaky Blinders has obviously you know the music that they you know they use modern music and the way they delivered the dialogue felt a lot more modern whereas here it still feels like you're watching Dickens but you know it's not the sort of thing that they would put on and show at school let's say there's swears there's violence it does feel very There's, uh, sexy bits coming apparently sexy bits coming there you go <laughs> <laughs> there is one very violent scene but uh, apart from that or two it's really menacing mm. with sister sarah and she's got like this cane or this stick that she uses on pip that scene there with joe sort of standing up to her and um, when she's going to attack pip that would have been the, the i need to go behind the sofa scene for me i think though and one but of... it's hayley squire she can hey. she can She's like a chameleon. She can just She's deliver, can't she? absolutely fantastic in this. And actually, the character of... Well, they call her Mrs. Joe, I believe, in the book. And here is, you know, yeah. Sarah. They've made her much more layered because in the book, she is very much just this harsh character that has no feeling at all. Whereas here, you see her having a laugh and a joke with Joe and Pip around the table and sort of having that compassion and listening to her husband when he says, you know, the lad is going to be the blacksmith and look after us when I can't do this anymore. And I thought that setup was really good. I thought Johnny Harris as a Magwitch was was fantastic. He's such a physical presence. The scene on the boat where you've got the fire and then him just sort of physically breaking himself out of his chains. I was compelled through all of that. I was less engaged when they actually started speaking more. <laughs> like, as you say, like the scene with Matt Barry. And then when we got to Miss Havisham as well, and, I, you know, towards the end of the episode, I was like, this is going to be the hardest thing because even though not everyone has read Great Expectations, everyone sort of knows the character of Miss mm. Havisham. You know, this woman who was stood up at the altar is still wearing her wedding dress. We saw the clock stopped in the corner of the room. I think Olivia Coleman will do something interesting with the with the performance, though. And, you know, even in the brief time we saw her, it ended with her saying, let me watch you play, which was very, very sinisterly uh, delivered. So I'm interested to see 
Stephen Knight's depiction of London as well, which we haven't got to yet. You know, he was talking about Dickens's London and the books he'd read about someone walking around the streets of London and getting those images. And I think that's something that I'd like to see him play with. You know, we're still in the early stages, which is one of the things about adapting a book like this. Where do you stop? Because obviously it was released as part works, weren't they? Dickens's novels back in the day. So it seemed to stop suddenly, but I am interested to watch more. And I think there are really gripping moments that, that stay with you. I think, uh, you know, Johnny Harris, Hayley Squires give really memorable performances here. And I'm interested to see more from, I suppose, the adult versions of these characters when we get there as well. Everybody here fine with slightly more diverse casting than normal in a period drama? No, I'm very racist. <laughs> The non-racist people are absolutely fine with it because actually it's historically accurate. What we've been watching for the past 50 years has not been historically accurate. Um, Britain has always been a nation of immigrants. So shut your hole. Having read the press pack, the interview with, with Ashley Thomas, they do mention that and how he is described Mr. Jagger's character as being dark of skin. So as you say, it's it's one of those things where is the actor that you're thinking about, is the actor good enough for that role? And I'm interested to see, you know, what Ashley Thomas does with that and Shalom Broome Franklin uh, when we get to her as Estella. So, yeah, so I think it's thumbs up from all of us here. Sunday nights on BBC One or for our American friends, I believe it's on FX at the same at uh, the same time. So. Uh, moving on now to our other big BBC drama of the week. This is Blue Lights. It's a new uh, police drama set in Northern Ireland and Sarah will be just leading us through this. So Declan Lorne and Adam Patterson are both from Northern Ireland. They are the writers. They know a thing or two about what they're on about. This is set in contemporary Belfast and we meet three rookie cops. They've only been on the job a month. Grace is the person who we follow closest in this episode, playing by Sean Brooke. She's soft-hearted, having had a previous career uh, in the social services. What they'll be set up against is open hostilities in areas of Belfast itself because of the sectarian divide, communities not being able to trust each other, and certainly the communities do not trust the police. Into this mix, we get a lad called Gordy Mackle, who is chased by the cops uh, because they presume that he's in a stolen car. But actually, this car belongs to a guy called James McIntyre, who's played by John Lynch, who's sadly underused in the first episode. In fact, Gordy has got James's permission to drive it. Um, and uh, this is our way into realising that Gordy is just a sort of low level, kind of sad little criminal. But he's getting involved in this criminal gang, this empire notorious in the city. Gordy's mum, Angela, is desperate for help because she says they're taking my son away from me. She's stuck between a rock and a hard place because she doesn't really feel like she can trust the police. Uh, but Grace is willing to get herself into a lot of trouble to help her. So there's a lot here, especially for English eyes, to try and understand because policing is very different in Northern Ireland. There's a lot of comparisons and similarities, of course, but the very fact that probation of cops are firearms trained and everybody carries a handgun and there's shotguns in the back of every police car is wild. We also get that classic counter-terrorism glance under the car every time you set off anywhere because there might be a, a device planted under there. 
then into all of this spicy mix, we get counterterrorism operatives who are getting in the way of normal everyday policing with, with different priorities. Whole areas can go out of bounds. They're trying to convince Grace that she can't be with Angela at all because she's also out of bounds because of a, a counterterrorism operation. And there's like a whole new crazy lexicon to understand in a new accent as well. Generally, I'm very warm to this. It's exactly the sort of thing that I like. My major criticism of this first episode was that I don't think they gave us quite enough. I know they don't want to bombard us with all of the history and the tension and the terrorism and the violence and the politics, but I didn't think that Grace was quite enough to... Discover, this is Daniela. Hi, it's Jennifer Coolidge. I just want to thank you for making me feel so special. I earned cash back on debit for my dinner party groceries. That's great. But with Discover Cashback Debit, we give everyone cash back on everyday purchases. Anything else I can help you with? Do you like asparagus and mushroom sorbet? I've got leftovers. Introducing Discover Cashback Debit, a checking account with cash back. It pays to discover. Eligibility in terms at discover.com slash cashback debit. Discover Bank, member FDIC. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details hinge the episode around i watch the second episode we do get to flesh out the story we see more of all of those themes come through in the lives of the different police officers so in my estimation it's definitely worth watching the second one and i'm guessing it's probably all going to be on the iplayer which i think is good for this and it took me a while with this because i think you're having to get into the mindset as you said sarah of policing in belfast and having read some of the interviews with the writers and the cast, you know, it's somewhere where you don't want to say that you're a cop. I think they set that up early on with Sean Brooke looking under her car. And mm. obviously they've got into a a routine with that. You know, it's just something where I'm going to do this. They've obviously told me to do this as part of my training. And it's on top of all the things you have to worry about as a probationary police officer. There's all this other how hostile certain members of the community to treat the police you're having to think oh yeah this is actually set in Belfast it's different than it being set in England because there is that hostility to the police but it's sort of amplified so much and obviously they're setting it around this one crime family in particular and their associates so you are going to get that and you know there's this constant thing where they're having to wait until another police car turns up before they can start certain operations because they need to be double crewed I think for me I just found everyone in it a little bit harsh you know obviously I understand that the cops who've been there a while have to sort of push their trainees but I I, I thought there should have been more scenes with the the three probationaries that we were following a little bit more interaction we did have that with Tommy and Annie but there wasn't really any interaction with Grace and any of her colleagues apart from from with Stevie and I think you know, there was that scene, obviously, where they'd got her device and sent a, an email to, to the boss. And you saw her sort of having a laugh and a joke with them there. But apart from that, it was all very serious. And I think it needed 
a little bit more levity. You know, there were certain bits where you could see it. There was Andy Osho popped up as the the custody sergeant, and I thought she was she was quite funny. And reading again the interview with the writers, they initially started this. It was just going to be about the Grace character, you know, about a lady in her forties starting again and retraining after you know having a career in the social services and the challenges that brings she has a very very compliant 17 year old son who <laughs> like she comes back and he's cooked oh. her dinner and... the first opening moments of the show were cheese ball cheese banquet cheese buffet it was just like are you kidding me are we doing this a man creeping down the stairs with a gun towards a woman who we know is a police officer yeah. and her back is towards him i was like come on i always find scenes like that very because we know what we're watching you know i i think unless you have no idea what you're watching it's like and they're trying to misdirect you in the first scene it never works because we know what the show is about and we know that sean brooke is playing the lead cop they're not um, going to do a line of duty or a vigil on us <laughs> I think on the whole, I was a little underwhelmed, if I'm honest, but I, I, I did like sort of what it was going for. It's not going to be a priority for me, but I I thought it, it was a, a well-constructed opening episode, and I'm glad to hear that it, it gets better as it goes on. What about you, Dawn? I really enjoyed it. It gave me Happy Valley vibes. It doesn't have the same quality of dialogue as Happy Valley. But I just, I think the style of it, the style of the story, a, a family of ne'er-do-wells, <laughs> a gang, no, well, you know what I mean, a, a, an underworld family. And I, I really was interested in Grace. I like the idea of having a woman in her 40s as a, a, a new recruit. I, I have a friend who just joined the police at age 48. So, um, you know, it does happen. And I think it's an, a, a good thing to explore. And I think they did it well. I actually liked the fact that we didn't get a, not a lot of their backstory. I liked that it was just straight into this is who they are now and that, you know, we'll slowly find out more about them as we go on. Because I was comparing it. I know they're not similar shows, but uh, Maternal on ITV because it was the same story of three people in the same workplace and we followed them. And that one I felt spent too much time on them at home and what they were doing before we got to know them in their, their workplace. And their workplace was the more interesting story. So I like these are who they are and we'll tell you more about them as we go on. I had trust that they would do it. I felt safe with them that it was not they were not going to left us bewildered i liked all the dynamics with each one with their older uh, more experienced partner i really liked the female sergeant or, or whoever she is that was dishing out their their duties and and the other recruit uh, jane who clearly is terrified and doesn't want to get out the car and does everything to avoid going on the front line and how they're going to deal with that and basically say tough if you're doing this job you've got to do the job and be there for your other uh, police officers and and not take a step back just because you're afraid everybody's afraid and as you're saying about the guns I thought a really good scene of that was when they were on the state and there was threat of rioting and Grace's partner went to the boot of the car and was contemplating do I take the rifle out? Do I not take the rifle out? Because it's that thing. Do I take it out and take control? Or the minute I take a gun out, have, have I escalated it? There was no dialogue. It was, you just saw him looking and I, I really thought that was a good 
seen that showed what the police officers have to contemplate for even the smallest of domestic abuse or, you know, any situation that's not necessarily terrorism or, you know, major crimes related, but they still have to treat it like it is. I only watched one episode. I've only watched one episode of everything this week, but I do think I will definitely watch more of this. On BBC One on Monday nights and probably on the iPlayer. Finally, very much trip around the UK this week, around various countries of the UK. We've done England, we've done Northern Ireland, and now we're going to do Scotland with 6-4. And obviously, token Scott of the podcast, Dawn Glenn, please set it up for us. <laughs> yes, obviously. Uh, here are the results from the Scottish jury. Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> this is based on a novel by Hideo Yokoyama, I think his name is. It is another police-based uh, drama series starring Kevin McKidd, uh, who is Chris O'Neill. Chris and his wife Michelle are in Edinburgh to identify a body which they believe might be their missing teenage daughter, Olivia. Thankfully, it's not. When they get out, we, we discovered that Chris is an active police officer and Michelle is an ex-police officer. She is freaking out and insists she has to go to London to search for their daughter. It appears she's got some connection to London. And as Chris says, you said you'd never go back there. But uh, she takes off and literally immediately gets on a train to, to London. Chris goes back to Glasgow to his workplace where he's sent on a job of a, an armed robbery of a supermarket delivery van. The CCTV shows the culprit was a heavily pregnant woman. And while he's in the office, the police chief comes through with the uh, justice secretary for a little tour. Um, it's revealed that Chris's brother is the chief of police. And uh, the Justice Secretary, who is the fabulous uh, Richard Coyle, from uh, people remember from Coupling, he is uh, making a bid for the SNP leadership, not in the, in the circumstances we find ourselves in. In reality, the, the, the leader hasn't stepped down. The, he is claiming they're not doing a good enough job and he wants to take over. Chris gets a phone call from a journalist called Sam Wishart, who Chris has had an affair with. She wants to talk to him about another missing girl uh, 16 years ago, Julia Mackey. Sam insists there was a police cover-up. There was a, a phone call from the kidnapper that for some reason the police have covered up and she believes Chris's brother was involved. She wants him to talk to his brother to find out more about it. Chris, of course, mentions it to his brother who does not react well. And later that night, Sam is nearly run off the road by a, a black SUV. Clearly, they want her off the case. Back in London, Michelle is using a burner phone and using the name Sarah Jones to contact someone called Tony, who she meets up and says he wants her to put her in touch with someone called Pierce, who she has put away for 10 years but eventually she phones Tony and explains why she wants Pierce that she needs his help to help her track down her daughter. Chris has become intrigued by this Julia Mackey's story so he does some googling or ukuleing is their uh, their own version of google. <laughs> is that um, what you've got? I just assumed that was what you had in Scotland <laughs> that you didn't have google. Yeah, no, no, we have Mick Google. No we don't. <laughs> I'm ashamed of that joke. He finds out about Julia's father, Jim, uh, that he's still alive, and he goes to see him, um, gets him, himself in by saying his own daughter's missing. They have a conversation when Chris accidentally reveals that he is a policeman. Uh, Jim does not take kindly to that, throws him out, literally, and this is where the uh, key moment comes as he says, 
he believes his daughter was murdered because he, uh, being Jim, knows about the 6-4, the title of the show. Chris starts looking for information on that and doesn't find anything. Meanwhile, we get some flashes of some things going on in other parts of Scotland that we don't know what they are. A breathless man putting a wedding dress into a bag. There's a car in the southern uplands driving and the car has a Better Together sticker on the bumper, which for those who paid no attention to Scottish politics, Better Together was the campaign uh, in the Scottish referendum to remain in the union. A very exclusive uh, girls' school where a turns out the justice minister's daughter is attending she is looks about 16 she sneaks out from the school to go and visit with someone she's obviously expecting to see with someone in a car uh, a car who that's waiting however she is abducted and bundled into the boot of the car which it turns out is the car with the better together sticker so it seems like we're going to get a multi-leveled story here about chris's daughter julia mackey and something to do with the smp and better together. I don't know what it, but I literally just described less than I've told you to my husband this morning, and he went, "Oh, I wonder if six four is to do with the referendum, like six six four and four again." So I don't know if that's what it's about. That was just his his guess, but obviously it's something to do with Scottish politics um, and police corruption, which I refuse to believe happens in Scotland. No. I I mean, you mentioned there that it's it's based on on a book by Hideo Yukomi, but the the book itself is is set in Japan. So they've taken the themes, I'm guessing, of that book and transported it to modern day Scotland. Because I didn't get, I have to say, I'm so glad you set that up because I didn't get half of the the Scottish okay. the better together, for example. I I didn't really know about that. But I, I Sorry thought... about the English people. I got it. There you go. Thank you, sir. You were paying attention, perhaps. I read I'll Guardian in more depth than you do. I don't read the Guardian. <laughs> what I really liked about this, actually, was the character of Chris O'Neill. I feel like he could be the centre of a cop drama going forward, this sort of schlubby guy who's sort of fallen into almost like mediocrity, is happy... Just be, you know, he he's not aspiring to where his brother is as like the chief. Obviously, he's got this complicated personal life with his daughter having gone missing a few weeks ago, having an affair with this journalist, and this strained relationship with his wife, who's obviously got a complicated history as a as an undercover officer in London. I was more intrigued by this, I think, than Blue Lights. This held my attention more. I thought the cast were really good. The story wasn't overly complicated, but at the same time, there was enough going on. James Cosmo is the dad of the girl who went missing 16 years ago. I thought he was absolutely fantastic. I really like this, and I think I will try and continue it. Now ITVX is available on the Sky Q box. I can see this being sort of a bingeable one. It is all available uh, as a box set. So, yeah, I enjoyed it. What about you, Sarah? Yes, I thought it was good too. My apologies to Scotland was that I was a bit confused as to where was Glasgow in it and where was Edinburgh in it because it's both of the cities turned up and I was like, is this the same city? No, it's not. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> See, I um, didn't get that. I knew it, but I suppose I knew Edinburgh because I've been to Edinburgh and I've been to Edinburgh Waverley. Well, I was at... I've been to both cities, but not for oh. very long in either. So 
Maybe there you that's go. just me. I did write down how much I liked Chris um, walking purposefully in the big swishy coat around various Scottish cities. Um, interestingly, in the Yokoyama book, I read that the cop in that is essentially washed up. He's now in the PR department um, and he's not sure whether he wants to go back to um, being a criminal investigator or not. So, yeah, we've definitely caught him at the end of his career, perhaps. Yeah, James Cosmo is a big man, isn't he? He could literally throw him out of the house. I enjoyed it. I mean, we'll get to know a little bit more about Michelle, why she's called Sarah Jones, why she feels like she has to be in London. That was a bit meh to me. It was it was less interesting than what was happening in Scotland. Mm. And I think I like the relationship between Chris and his brother, Philip, and seeing where that goes. And then, yeah, having the politics sort of into the mix as well, I think is really interesting. It's good. I liked it. I, I really liked it. The idea that they're going to talk about SNP and, and unionist and, and politics is something I can't think of a drama that's dealt with that. I really mm. can't. So it's really original. And if it's, you know, the book was set in Japan and they've come up with this themselves, then fantastic. I'm really intrigued by that aspect of it. Um, and I think Kevin McKed is just, I've always liked him since Rome. So he's a, he's a really I wonder casual... what had happened to him. And then I realised he'd been in like 230 episodes of Grey's Anatomy. <laughs> been quite busy then. <laughs> he, he went to America because uh, he, he talked about the uh, Scottish referendum when it happened and said he, he was disappointed he wasn't allowed to vote because he was living in America at the time. So um, he was out of it. I thought he was believable as a, a schlubby, you know, he, he's a handsome guy, but he does look past his best, stopped caring kind of guy. You did feel he was punching a bit with the two women who were his romantic leads. That's how, how schlubby <laughs> yeah. he looks. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> the social comedy about the van, I, I can't remember who it was that said it, whether it was his brother or somebody said, why would anybody want to hold up a van? You know, that's full of food and it's because people want to eat, you know. I think that was the justice minister as well, wasn't it? But again, that's, yeah, who, who's obviously his daughter who's in private school. and mm. you know. yeah. It gave me almost Scandi vibes that we've got a plot happening, there's missing girls, it's all very normal. And then suddenly you've got a guy with a wedding dress and some antlers in the background and a school. No explanation, just dropped in. And then the the old car as well. No explanation, just dropped in. Keep an eye on that for later. It's rewarding the the careful viewer, and it's believing in the intelligence of your mm. of your viewer. And I really liked yeah. that. And I thought that was very very literary. And you can tell that it's come from a book. And I feel if this is the first episode, then I feel like we're in safe pair of hands for the rest. You know, it's it's going to be because I, I read uh, the quote is that this book was an award winning phenomenon in Japan. So. It's not any old Japanese book. And Gregory Burke, who is a, apparently an award-winning playwright, um, I know him from the film 71, which is oddly going back to what we were just talking about, set during the, the Troubles in Northern Ireland. So, And he's also, Dawn, going to be involved in the new Rebus uh, update that they're doing as well. Oh, right. But yeah, no, I agree with you in terms of all the little bits that all the the sort of the breadcrumbs that we were scattered throughout. And um, Dawn, anything else? Well, I think uh, just really good, very good cast, very um, 
a, a good depiction of Scotland. I liked that we saw Southern Upland <laughs> across the screen. I was I was doing a say that I kept looking away the wrong second and having to rewind and go, where was that? Where was it? <laughs> the one thing I was worried about was how much Michelle spent on that ticket from Edinburgh to London without it oh being a, <laughs> without it being like a off peak or a advanced ticket. Six, that's going to be what between sort of two and four hundred quid. Getting on the train last minute, she's going to probably have to stand up some of the way, if not all of the way, because she hasn't reserved a ticket. Come on, Michelle. I know you like you wanted to get to London, but you know, so, probably be cheaper to get a plane. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, trust me, the Scottish person, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that is all on ITVX from Thursday. And uh, yeah, that's the end of another podcast. Thank you so much uh, for joining me, Sarah and Dawn. Do you want to just go through uh, where we can find you on uh, Twitter and elsewhere on the interweb? I'm at Sarah Hamstera on Twitter. And then my writings are at whynow.co.uk. You can get me on Twitter at DawnGlen2. The shipyard is the Shipyard UST, and our website is tvshipyard.com. And I'm at Matt's TV Bytes. As I said, uh, the website at Lou Custard TV and the podcast at Custard TV Pods. Please rate, review, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Next week on the show, we will be talking about uh, Rain Dogs, the new Daisy May Cooper thing and uh, the big door prize starring chris o'dowd so that'll be next time but for now thank you very much for listening and goodbye rate and review us wherever you find us i think that it's programs like this that help people realize that they're not alone search the custard tv on youtube itunes and facebook Discover, this is Daniela. Hi, it's Jennifer Coolidge. I just want to thank you for making me feel so special. I earned cash back on debit for my dinner party groceries. That's great. But with Discover Cashback Debit, we give everyone cash back on everyday purchases. Anything else I can help you with? Do you like asparagus and mushroom sorbet? I've got leftovers. Introducing Discover Cashback Debit, a checking account with cash back. It pays to Discover. Eligibility in terms at discover.com slash cashback debit. Discover Bank, member FDIC. 